You may be seated, and uh, we'll be back in Deuteronomy again in chapter 6 as we're going through this series on a generational vision for your family. And that vision is Christ. Our hope, our one passion is that Christ might see the passion of our souls, which is Jesus Christ. That's why I kind of wish in that song we just sang about the unclouded sky that they put the third verse first because it's about the king that's there first. We have a home with him, but it's about the king of glory. It's about Jesus Christ and him crucified. Well, I'll go ahead and read the first nine verses of Deuteronomy 6, and then we will begin this message. We'll title this message today, One Passion for Our Families. Beginning in verse 1. Now, these are the commandments, the statutes, and the judgments which the Lord your God commanded to teach you that you might do them in the land where you go to possess it. That you might fear the Lord your God to keep all his statutes and his commandments which I command you, you and your son and your son's son, all the days of your life, and that your days may be prolonged. Hear therefore, O Israel, and observe to do it, that it may be well with you, that you may increase mightily as the Lord God of your fathers has promised you in the land that flows with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy might. And these words which I command you this day shall be in your heart, and you shall teach them diligently unto your children, and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise up. And you shall bind them for a sign upon your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. And you shall write them upon the post of thy house and on thy gates. Let us pray. Father, we just thank you, Lord, for your word that instructs us. These things were written of old time for our learning, that we might see these uh, eternal principles that you have written in the Old Testament and how you have fulfilled them in Jesus Christ in the New Testament. So, Lord, I just pray that you would guide us and teach us and help us to see the glory of the risen Christ and help us, Father, to have that panting soul after Christ and that our children and our friends, our families and other church members would see our one passion is Jesus Christ. These things I pray in the name of the risen Christ. Amen. Well, just to kind of recap where we've been, I started taking this series from Deuteronomy because this is where, after 40 years of wandering and judgments against Israel in the desert, Deuteronomy means second telling. Moses comes and he rehearses and he's instructing the next generation 40 years later to prepare them to go in to the promised land. So we have that principle before us that every generation must be instructed and prepared to fulfill the mandate, to be fruitful and multiply and take dominion of the earth. We then moved at the end of January during the week where we celebrate life and we protest against the child, the wickedness and evil of child sacrifice. We did a message there and we just pointed out that 
God sent Israel into Canaan as the sword to execute judgment against all of those nations who had fallen into the practice of child sacrifice. And that child sacrifice always rises out of sexual wickedness and sin. And so we talked about how we can preserve our generations from falling into that sin by teaching them and preparing them. We did a message also on the moral law and talked about the beauty of God's moral law and how it is His loving boundaries around us. It's really our design specifications about where we can live and be the most happy. And we also talked in that how Jesus Christ fulfilled that law for those who trust in Him. That He kept that for us. And through the transforming power of grace, we are enabled to keep the spirit of that law and to live in such a way that we show people it's beautiful and it's glorious. I did a message I titled, With All, and with all our heart. You know, we had that verse last time, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy mind, with all thy soul. Christ repeats that in the New Testament. It's still in effect. And we're going to look at that a little bit more today as we talk about this one passion. So you can kind of see there's a theme here running through this series is that Christ is glorious and wonderful. And there is a great joy and pleasure in living life for Him and with Him. And it's so beautiful that we want to demonstrate that to our children, to the generations to come. So as we've been going along, we tried to point out that there are Old Testament principles that are still in effect, but that there is a new covenant of grace whereby Christ fulfilled the law and whereby we are now enabled to live according to these principles, free, not to have to keep them for salvation, but to keep them out of love. Uh, also tried to point out as we've gone through this series uh, that there are two great truths that we believe in and that we stand on. And that is that God is sovereign and salvation. And you are responsible to repent and to believe on this God. And so today, I would just set before you again that you will bless the next generation eternally when your entire day is a reflection of one passion for Messiah. And so how are we to have one passion in our lives so that our children may be blessed? We read here in verse 6, he says, And these words which I command you this day shall be in your heart. So first, these words have to be in your heart before you can show others how beautiful they are. These words which I command these this day shall be in your heart. They will be in the heart of a believer. Here we have a command which God commanded from the outside in. Here we have the command of a law that was written in stone. But for all of those who are born of the Spirit of God, this, this command has now become inscribed in your heart. It's now become inscribed in your heart. 
Israel was commanded to keep this law and they could not keep it. That's why we've got the Old Testament to prove man can't keep laws in a state of sin and depravity. You just can't. And this lesson and this history brings us to the end of ourselves so that we might fall upon Christ in faith and repentance. And so there is a new covenant now where this command to keep God's words, He says, as I command you this day, and now these are written in our heart, and this command is fulfilled in your heart already if you be born again. That's my point. It's commanded here, fulfilled in regeneration. Let me show that to you, because this is wonderful. Because this is going to give you great confidence, parents, that this will happen in your life. As we look at that, Jeremiah 31. Let's look at the new covenant. In Jeremiah 31, 31 through 34. Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, which my covenant they broke. Although I was a husband to them, saith the Lord. But this shall be the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my law in their inward parts and write it in their hearts and will be their God and they shall be my people and they shall teach no more every man his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest of them, saith the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. So let's just look a couple of things there. This is a command here in Deuteronomy 6. These words which I command thee this day shall be in your heart. In the new covenant, God writes those in your heart. Where before that law was inscribed on stone, unfeeling, a dead heart that can't feel, commanded from outside the heart, to now He's writing these commands in your heart. He took Israel by the land, brought them out, and He gave them the covenant, and they broke it. They couldn't keep it. Even though God was merciful, He took them by the hand like a loving father. He led them like a loving father. He was a husband to them. Provided everything they needed. And they wouldn't keep His word. But now He puts this law in the inward parts. There in verse 33 of that text in Jeremiah. And He writes it in their hearts. Which means He writes it in the most vital part of who you are. To write it in your hearts means you love it. It's not a matter of you must love God with all your heart, mind, and soul. If you're born of the Spirit, you do love Him. And you want to love Him more. And that's why you have to come in your prayers. I hope you've been doing this. I hope y'all have been reading Deuteronomy as we've been going through this. You've got to ask God, God, help me to love you more. More about Jesus, what I know. More of His love to others show. We have to be praying that prayer for Him to increase this, what He has begun. 
And the work that he's begun, he'll do what? He'll complete it. He's finishing it. He's working in you. In Jeremiah 32. So that was 31. You go into the next chapter of Jeremiah. And we have a little bit more about this new covenant. And they shall be my people and I will be their God. In 32, 38. Shall be. They shall be my people and I will be their God. That means there is an intimate relationship going on there. And I will give them one heart, one passion, one direction that will affect everything in their life. That they may fear me forever for the good of them and for their children after them. Do you hear that? 39, everlasting covenant. He's giving you parent, family, friend, church member. We're all involved in this vision. Preparing the next generation. He says that they may fear me forever for the good of them and their children after them. That's a great promise to stand on. That He's going to regenerate them too. That when we're faithful to these promises and we show them this passion, it's infecting. It spreads. It's a glory that illuminates. When they see that we're walking in heavenly sunlight, they're going to see it too. And I will make an everlasting covenant with them that I will not turn away from them to do them good. Isn't that great? That in your endeavors to teach and raise and to go through these struggles of life, to fulfill these commands in love, I will not turn away from them to do them good. But I will put my fear in their hearts and they shall not depart from me. You see, our first parents departed even when a state of perfection... But this great God, through this new covenant, has now done a work in your heart that's permanent. Where He will never turn away from you and you can never turn away from Him. Because you're bound by Him with everlasting love. This everlasting passion. Yea, I will rejoice over them to do them good. God takes pleasure in you. He loves to do good for you. He loves when He sees you reaching out to friends or family or community people and trying to show them this love of Christ. That thrills His heart to see it. He rejoices in that. And you know when He rejoices and you're in Christ and you're connected to Him, that joy spills over into your heart. I will rejoice over them to do them good and I will plant them in this land assuredly. And how does God do that? Jeremiah 32, 41. He does that with my whole heart and with my whole soul. Do you think that something that God does with everything in His being could be thwarted? He says, I'm doing this with one passion. You know what God's passion is? God's passion is for His glory. 
The great divine trinity from all eternity has passionately worshipped the Godhead. Because they're perfect and they deserve it. They're glorious. They're beautiful. And God is going to plant you. And He is doing it with every part of His being. And that draws out your passion to reflect that and do the same. Isn't that great? That's the new covenant. That's what it means to be born again. To be a new creature is to have a new passion that overcomes every passion in this world. And that's why in, in view of that perfect, glorious passion, anybody who turns back, they puts their hand to the plow and turns back. Christ said, they are not worthy of me. You turn aside from me as being your one passion to drink or idols or sex or anything, you are not worthy of me. Why? Because you have spurned the most glorious, beautiful love that there could ever be. And so you will be successful believing parents at this. Isn't that great encouragement? This is permanent what he's doing. And he's given us this vision and it will be successful. So as you're working with ornery children, or children, if you're working with ornery parents, pray and trust and be patient. Ezekiel 36. Let's look a little bit more at this new covenant. Because this is the rock under our feet. This is Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And this is how we fulfill this command to keep God's words in our hearts. Because it's already written there. If you know Him. A new heart. Ezekiel 36, 26. A new heart also will I give you. A new spirit will I put within you. And I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh. And I will give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you. And this is the phrase that I love. And cause you to walk in my statutes. And you shall keep my judgments and do them. You see, obedience and faith always go together. Where the new covenant is written in a person's heart, they will obey him because he causes it. He causes obedience. How? Through eternal, everlasting love. The greatest motivator. Passion. He shall cause you to walk in His statutes. He'll cause you to live in such a way that you will do His judgments. That's why this whole idea, which I've had a question this week, that there can be children of God in India, a Buddhist, a Hindu, or somewhere out there, there's children of God who will never hear the gospel, never repent, believe, rejects that text of the new creation and regeneration. Because God writes that law in every child of God's heart and causes them to obey Him in repentance and faith. And so this command is from outside the heart in Deuteronomy and through the new birth, it's now in our hearts. We love Him. We love His Word. We see how precious God's Word is. The precious Christ. Precious faith. The precious things Marvin is preaching about. This is the heart that loves and clings to God in one passion. That trusts and delights in Him. This is our greatest delight. Our greatest pleasure. 
A heart that's caused to walk in the way of holiness. From the oldness of the letter to the newness of the spirit. And so those who are in this one passion will build their lives and their days around this salvation and communicate it to the next generation to the glory of the risen King. As He conquered our hearts in love, we will conquer our children's hearts in love. And it all begins with meditation. He says, you will... These words which I command thee this day will be in your heart. And so as he's written them there, we, we revolve. Meditate means to, we think on God's word. We revolve these words around in our heart. We have this written in the heart. Again, the most vital organ you have is your heart. The most vital part of who you are is where God goes in with the Holy Spirit and writes that in your heart. Psalms 48, this is how you will speak. This is Christ speaking in Psalms 48. But if we be in Christ, we speak like this too. I will del- I delight to do thy will. Oh my God, yea, thy law is within my heart. That is true for the believer. Job 23.12 Job said, Neither have I gone back from the commandment of his lips. I have esteemed the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. Part of our teaching and training with kids is making sure they've got the proper nutrition, right? So that means they're getting all of their balanced meal and if they've got to take vitamins or whatever you're doing to ensure that. And your body needs, depending on where you are in life, a certain number of calories. It might only need 1,500 calories a day. It might need 3,000 or 4,000 if you're an athlete or more. How much word does a soul need daily? As thirst the heart for water brooks, so thirst my soul after thee, O God. We have such a love for Him. We want to hear His word. Lovers, when they're together, love to get letters from each other. They like to hear each other speak on the phone or to get that text. When Christ is your lover and He is your single passion, you will love His Word more than those words. And you can't love somebody else aright if you're not loving Christ with all. Jesus said in John 4.34, My meat is to do the will of Him that sent me and to finish His work. It was at a time when he wasn't eating and the disciples came and asked him about eating. And he said, my meat, I'm satisfied with God's work. Oh, that we could be that way. Have you ever been so satisfied with word that you forgot to eat? Have you ever been so consumed in prayer that you forgot to eat? Or didn't need to eat? Romans 7, 22, Paul said, I delight in the law of God after the inward man. This is the reality. We delight after the law of God after the inward man. If we be born of the Spirit as Paul is there in Romans 7. And when your heart is one for Christ, you will live to teach those words to those you love. 
And so here, we're just given that basic instruction there in Deuteronomy 6 where it says, You shall teach them diligently unto your children. And you will teach those you love the things you love. You will teach those you love the things you love. Do you know that? In your whole life, whoever you are, wherever you are, if your parents with kids or the people around you, they will see what your passion is. You will be teaching them verbally and non-verbally. Your very life oozes teaching. And here we're told, if these things be in our heart, we will teach them diligently unto our children. Diligence means steady application in the business at hand. Constant effort. Has the idea of to sharpen, to inculcate, to impress with frequent admonitions, to teach and enforce by frequent repetitions, to urge on the mind, to pierce through, and even has the idea to be wounded with grief. Sometimes you're going to have to give your kids words that will wound them with grief if you're going to be honest with them about the state of their heart and their need for Christ. The illustration is obvious they're sharpening a knife. Whenever I sharpen knives, I've got a whetstone. And you have to bring that hard VG-10 steel, very, very hard steel, in repeated contact with a whetstone on one side. You do that. And you do it until you can feel a burr, which means you've worked on that edge so much that it's become soft and it's flapping over. And then you flip it over and you go to work on the other side. And you do equal repetitions on the other side. Equal, equal repetitions of repentance, conviction, correction, with encouragement and hope and trust in Christ. they got to be brought back again over and over with it. With this, raising children is like a sculptor. And when a sculptor sculpts a beautiful sculpture, it's a slow, painstaking process. And it takes a while before it starts to look like anything. And if you go too fast, you'll break it. So it's one gentle stroke at a time. Sometimes strokes more severe than others. But it's a stroke by stroke, wisdom, patience, Every lump of clay is different, requires different strokes. I wish God gave one instruction book for each personality, but it's not quite that way. So you've got to have wisdom. God gives you wisdom. He's given you a whole book of wisdom and the Holy Spirit so that you can mold your parenting to fit that child. Or He'll mold you to be able to help that friend. And even children, He'll help you, adult children, to be able to help your parents. Because we even see as here in this congregation that we raise our parents and then there comes a time when our parents raise us and then there comes a time when we are actually flip those roles. And we start taking care of them. Eli is a model of what not to do in this process of daily teaching. Eli in 1 Samuel 3, 12 and 14. Not this Eli. In that day I will perform against Eli all things which I have spoken concerning his house. In 1 Samuel 3.12 When I begin, I will make an end. For I have told him that I will judge his house forever 
for the iniquity which he knows. Because his sons made themselves vile and he restrained them not. That word, he restrained them not right there, means that he grew faint, weak, or cowardly in his parenting. Parenting is not for the weak and the faint of heart. We do not parent so that the world will think much of us. We parent so that our children will think much of Christ. He restrained them not. This parenting, this daily teaching, as we rise up, sit, walk, lay down, must include correction and discipline. And of course, this is generally in the early years. If you've got this under control by age five, it's going to be a lot easier for you down the road. And you'll need less of it. Proverbs 22.15 Foolishness is bound in the heart of a child, but the rod of correction shall drive it far from him. You've got to have courage to do what the world rejects. And you've got to have wisdom when to do it. <laughs> and where. And it's always done in love. And it's always done with a view towards restoring them. And restoring relationships. It's never done harshly, abusively, or without the idea of repentance and correction and bringing back into relationship. So teaching children diligently, repeatedly, to sharpen them, to sharpen their hearts, sharpen their minds, includes shepherding the heart of a child, which means you've got to tell them they've got sinful hearts. You've got to tell them the truth about Adam and Eve. You've got to tell them the truth about the world and why everything is the way it is. And you've got to tell them that they've got the disease too. And there is a cure for it. And so whenever you are doing this, you're going to use every means possible. When you have Christ as your one passion, and you understand generations are at stake. Heaven and hell is at stake. This is serious. We're being, we, we are stewards of eternal souls. Then we're going to use every means we can with our passion in the entire day to teach them. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. And so in everything you do, you will be showing your children your passion and how you live your, your life. You're going to be showing them that sweetest name we just sang about. The great physician. You're going to be teaching them he is the sweetest name in heaven and earth. That He is your one heart's desire. You're going to tell them of the glory of this coming King. And that He's on the way to perform a judgment on this earth. That He has an eternal kingdom that we enter into through regeneration. Which results in faith and repentance. We're going to teach them about morning glory, walking glory, and laying down glory, and sitting glory. When the sun rises, we'll read them Psalm 19 and we'll say, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the earth shows His handiwork. When we rise up in the morning, what are we teaching them? What do they see us doing? What's the first thing we do in the morning? What are we communicating to them with not just our words, but our actions? 
When we're walking, we will teach them. Psalms 25a, Good and upright is the Lord, therefore will He teach sinners in the way. We are in the way of life. We are walking life's pathway. And God is so good, He teaches us the way that we should go. We teach them, and in Psalms 32, 8, He says, I will instruct you and teach you in the way which you should go. I will guide you with mine eye. We will teach them that they can know God so intimately and wonderfully through His Word and fellowship in our families that He, just a look of His eye, can correct you. We will teach him teach them Proverbs two eight about walking in the way. He keeps the paths of judgment and preserves the way of his saints. He preserves those who walk in love with him. To deliver us from the evil man, Psalm two twelve, from the man that speaks evil things. To deliver us from the evil woman. We must teach them. To stay away, not even go close to the places of evil. In Proverbs, in chapter 7, there's a young man there, and he's told, don't even walk by the house of the whore. That pathway now comes right into your house, unless you've got guards on your internet and your TV. We're not even to go in that way. We're not to even watch things that would stimulate in a way that's evil. We're to teach them. Her house is the way to hell. And that list of those that are cast into the lake of fire. It says whoremongers are there. People who habitually violated God's plan for sexuality. We must teach them as we're walking in this way that correction is grievous unto those that forsake the way. But those and those that hate reproof shall die. We must be corrected. We need each other. At the men's meeting last Saturday, there was great instruction about those that are spiritual needing to restore one who has a fault. And about how we need each other. To reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and patience. Sin is deceitful. The very fact that it's deceitful means you can be deceived and never know it. And so you need somebody outside looking at you that loves you to help you. Parents, that's why your kids are there for you to guide and instruct them. So, kids, your parents are performing an act of love, and you might not like it every time. Your sinful, rebellious heart may not like it when they set up the rules, but you've got to submit to that. Because if you don't, it said that person that, that hates reproof will die. The way of life is above to the wise, that they may depart from hell beneath. This is serious. This, the way we live. The way we teach. And it will have effects for generations. So what is the ripple in the pond that your life is leaving right now? Do your children sense love 
acceptance and compassion from you. That should be the predominant thing. There will be times you will be frustrated with them and it's not wrong for them to feel frustration from you and maybe even anger from time to time. But that should not be the predominant thing that they are sensing. When that comes, that will cause them to repent because they don't want to fall out of your favor. When you're sitting with them, what are you teaching? Teach them Psalms 26.5. I have hated the congregation of evildoers and will not sit with the wicked. I will not go to places. I will not sit in bars. I will not go sit in places where sinners go to congregate. I will not sit with the wicked. You teach them the reason why you don't want to sit where the wicked is? Because the wicked's going to disappear one day in judgment. Because Psalms 110.1 says, The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou at my right hand until I make your enemies my footstool. Teach them that this Lord is sitting at the right hand of God in power right now. And the Son of Man is going to come in His glory with all the holy angels with Him. And then He shall sit. He shall sit upon the throne of His glory. You teach them in Rome, in Revelations 3.21 that there are things that must be overcome and that will be overcome in the life of the believer. Sin will be overcome in the life of the believer. Habitual sin will be broken. And if it's not, then you're not a believer. In Revelations 3.21, teach them to them that overcome will I grant to sit with me in my throne, even as I also overcame and am set down with my Father in His throne. Those children, we will teach them, there's going to come a day when you're going to sit with Him. Isn't that good? Sit with Jesus. When you lie down, what are you teaching them? What's the last thing you put into your brain and your kids' brains before you go to bed? What's the last thing you're reading? Oh, put a text in your head before you go to bed. Put a text in a prayer. Because this stuff sticks in your mind, I know, by experience. I like to actually stop things on Saturday night around 6 o'clock because it seems whatever takes place in those last hours before bed can affect this glorious worship. So when you lay down, teach them Psalms 4.8. Children, I will both lay me down in peace and sleep for you, Lord, only make me dwell in safety. You teach them God is watching over us while we sleep. You don't have to be afraid. You teach them Psalm, Proverbs 3.24. When you lie down, you shall not be afraid. Yea, you shall lie down and your sleep shall be sweet. Teach them that if they can't sleep, to meditate on the Word. Psalm 119, 148. Mine eyes prevent the night watches that I might meditate in the Word. We see David rising up early to be in the Word. We see David laying down late in the Word. 
We see an example before us in the Psalms of one that was born of the Spirit, who had the Word written in his heart, who had one passion from beginning to end of the day. Let our lives be like that in front of all we live around. Otherwise, we are lying to them about our profession of faith. Otherwise, we have taken the name of God in vain. If there is no change, there's no difference. And so the entirety of our day is going to be teaching something. Our lives are communicating. What is it? We read over there in 2 Corinthians 3, 2-3, where Paul said, You are my letter written, written in my heart, known and read of all men. For as much as you are manifestly declared to be this, the letter of Christ ministered by us, written not with ink, but here it is again. Here it is, that idea. But with the Spirit of the living God, not in tables of stone, but in fleshly tables of the heart. You're a letter being read of everyone. The way of holiness and of Christ is so beautiful that there be many who will pretend to it. But their lives and the fruit of their lives and whatever's in their heart that comes out their mouth will reveal whether they know Christ or not. And I, I know that we see this model and this is a glorious, beautiful thing. And I know some of us didn't come out of that. Some of us may not be in it now. Somebody listening to the message. You say, well, what do I do? You start right now. You trust Christ now. You repent of your sins. You have to sweep your side of the street. And you just start trusting Him and following Him and reading His Word and doing the best you can. Right here, right now, today. The way we live our life and our countenance, our discontent or contentment is going to be seen. The world is always teaching. Do you know that, right? So we read here, we're supposed to be teaching from sunup to sundown. The world is always teaching. Satan has his methods and means that we have today. There is this idea today, a concept, that the human mind can be altered or controlled by certain psychological techniques. And these techniques are said to reduce the subject's ability to think Critically or independently. Satan wants to destroy your ability to think critically or independently. And the truth is the only thing that will sharpen your wit. And to give you wisdom to keep you from that. It's estimated that the average American sees between six and 10,000 ads a day. I don't know how they measure that. That's a lot. But I do know that the world ad budget for advertising in the world is $700 billion. What could you do with $700 billion? Why would they spend that much money if they did not know statistically and by fact that it manipulates people's behaviors? There is a spirit in the world that we see in Acts 17.21 the Athenians, 
Today we have the new Athenians. All the Athenians and strangers which were there spent their time and nothing else but either to tell or to hear some new thing. We all have this spirit. We have to watch this going around. And we listen to the news. Oh, what did you hear about so and so? Oh, did you hear this? Did you hear about the list that was published this past week? Did you hear who was on it? The, the spirit of the world goes about just interested in the information of the world. That Most of it, we don't even know if it's true. But it's not satisfying. We have to be like the Bereans. The same chapter in Acts where it said, These were more noble than those in Thessalonica. And that they received the word with all readiness of mind and searched the scriptures daily. Whether those things were said. Are you searching the scriptures daily? Do you enjoy reading the Bible as much as you enjoy reading news? Or watching cat videos? And there's a time to enjoy things. But what's your one passion? What is the one passion of your mind hunger that you're feeding? And in our teaching and raising, we want to be showing our children through our example and the things that we watch and see and how we enjoy entertainment, how we enjoy sports. How do we do that? Are we doing it in such a way they can see our one passion is Christ? Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So you're either being conformed or you're being transformed. Which one is it? I found this quote about the modern propaganda, which is daily modern propaganda. Propaganda is what I was just talking about, where they're trying to destroy your ability to think critical. Uh, one professor said this, the point of modern propaganda isn't only to misinform or push an agenda, it is to exhaust your critical thinking to annihilate the truth. They can get you so in a crossfire of lies from the right and the left constantly reading and trying to decipher and figure all that out. It's going to exhaust your critical thinking. But let me tell you something. You come to the truth, it's always the truth. It's refreshing, peaceable, gentle wisdom that comes down from above. It's not exhausting. It's restoring. We teach our children about this new covenant in the Holy Spirit. We teach them so that their eyes may be opened. To, that they may be turned from the darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God. That they may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among them which are as sanctified by faith that is in Christ. We teach these things daily, repeatedly. We teach them that Christ has delivered us from the power of darkness. We teach them that there is a real spiritual warfare going on for their soul. We teach them that God sends strong delusion to those who reject this truth. And we demonstrate worship in front of them regularly, family worship in the home. God is our Father, Ephesians 3.14, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. Church is a family of families, 
And when we're at home in our home family, we should be worshiping daily. We see this where it was said of Abraham that he commanded his family after him. I believe that's what this is teaching today. But it says when you get up in the morning from the end of the day, you're worshiping Christ. And then you sit down and you have a little formal worship service. You read, read a psalm, read a psalm, have a prayer at least. Show them that it's important. And they will taste and see that the Lord is good through that. There will be preciousness that will come through that experience of family worship. There are seven New Testament families that were devoted to God. I'll just give you an example. I'm going to move towards closing out. In Acts 18.8, And Crispus, the chief ruler of the synagogue, believed on the Lord with all his house. He believed on the Lord with all his house. We read of Lydia, and it says her whole house was baptized. We read of Joshua. He says, if it seem evil for you to serve the Lord, you choose today whom you're going to serve. Whether the gods which your father served, whether you're going to serve the American dollar, or the gods on the other side of the flood, or the gods of the Amorites, in whose land you will. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And it says that they write these on their hands and on their phylacteries and the post of the gates. That's a good one to put up in your house right there. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. You will have the Word of God ever before you. You are a holy institution, sanctified unto the Lord. You are responsible to teach your children the doctrine of salvation. You should digest the sermons for your kids and talk about the sermons together. John Patton, a great missionary to the New Hebrides cannibals, said in Scotland that they walked five miles to church and five miles back every Sunday. How would you like to do that, kids? Would you like to walk five miles to church and five miles home? And he said, all the way home on that five mile journey, my dad would digest the sermons for us kids. There's such a passion here, this all-consuming passion, that in a born-again heart, the born-again hearts of parents will overflow into the kids. Where we will be like Paul when we say, according to my earnest expectation and my hope in Philippians 1.20, that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but that with all boldness, as always, so now as Christ, also Christ shall be magnified in my body. Rising up, walking, sitting, laying down. Christ be magnified in my body, whether it be by life or by death. We, we get our kids ready to die. Death is the great separator. We have a responsibility to prepare them for death. For your death, parents, and for theirs. We are to get them ready to teach them that death is gain to the believer. Because you will be in the presence of your one passion, Jesus Christ. And so we must teach them how to die. I love hearing these stories like Leslie and her family as they circle the bed around her dad and sang hymns and sang hymns. In the glory. I love the fact that a few years ago, a violin was playing 
while a sister in Christ went to glory. And those mothers and those fathers are teaching their children faith and how to die. And so just one last thing. If you are an older parent and you have failed in some way, if you look back in your past and you think about some ways that you might have failed and how you have demonstrated that one passion to your kids, call them and tell them and show them how to repent. It's never too late. Tell them, I'm sorry the way I was. I wasn't born again. I wasn't living this way. You know, but I just want you to know I'm different now. And Christ is my one passion. And I just want to tell you that. You could do that. And I ask you, what things do you need to stop doing in your homes now? What things do you need to start doing? What things do you need to continue doing? This all begins with the sovereign God. He must move. But He owns the preaching of the gospel and truth. And He regenerates people so that they can hear it. It is my hope and trust that all of you know this great Christ. And that you just want generations and generations Not for your sake, for anybody to say you're a great parent or a great person, but for the cause of God and truth, for the cause of Christ. That you can say, Christ was honored. He got honored because He moved in my family. I didn't do anything. It was because of Him. It was because God the Father made Him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. And all of those that are in Christ are moving towards that great day whereby God will separate. He will separate the true believers from the false believers. Jesus said, there will be many that will come in that day and say, Lord, Lord, we did good works for you. We tithed. We went to church. We preached. We did miracles. They had spiritual gifts. Isn't that interesting? That it's even possible for God in His sovereignty to give spiritual gifts to some, whereby He will say, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who work iniquity. I believe that message comes in the heart of the child of God and drives them into Christ's arms. So may God bless His Word. I pray that He would bless you. Be encouraged by the new birth, this covenant that God has done this in your heart. And it will be part of your life. And it is permanent. And so be encouraged in your endeavors.